Section 20 of The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories by Nicholas Carter. Nick Carter's Ghost Story, Chapter 10, Some Clever Tricks Explained. No sooner had Nick uttered these words than a loud cry rang through the house. Instantly Millie Stevens appeared upon the threshold of the parlor. Horace, she cried, tell me it is not true. You have not done this. Certainly not, he exclaimed. It is an absurd slander. Carter, you'll be sorry for this. The girl looked straight into Horace's face for an instant. Then she uttered a moan. He is guilty, she cried. I can read it in his eyes, and I loved him so. She sank upon the floor at her mother's feet. Oh, mother, she said, this is a just punishment for me. You told me I must give him up. You read his heart. But I secretly accepted his love. I received letters in which he begged me to keep our love a secret, and in which I should have read a confession of guilt and all the time he loved me only because he thought that I should have a fortune in gold and diamonds. "'You have stated the case exactly,' said Nick. "'When he thought you would inherit all those jewels, he made love to you. Heaven knows that your own attractions should have been enough, but they were not for him. When the jewels went elsewhere, he was probably on the point of giving you up. I judged that from certain letters of yours in that telegraph cipher which I found in his room.' Then he wormed his plan for making you rich. He managed the robberies at the house with the aid of John Gilder and one or two of that spiritualistic gang whom he smuggled into the house. He did everything to increase his uncle's delusion. It was he who put Colonel Richmond again in the hands of that medium. I suppose that that affair was all over, said Mrs. Stevens. Both the colonel and I had disapproved of it. Annie O'Neill, said Nick turning to the servant. A full confession from you is what we now require. It may save you from prison. We know that you managed the affair from this end. It was you who put the jewels where they were found, after they had been given you by Horace. It was you... Catcher! This last exclamation was addressed to Patsy. The girl was wavering as if she would fall. Before Patsy could reach her, she sank sobbing to the floor. She proceeded to pour out an incoherent confession, in which little was clear but the name of Horace Richmond and the fact that the girl loved him still. "'I've been waiting for this,' said Horace, with a brutal sneer. "'Trust a woman and lose the game. Well, it's all up. I loved you, Milly, but not enough to marry you without the jewels. So I schemed for the transfer, and I have failed.' "'It was Annie O'Neill whom you followed last night, Patsy,' said Nick. "'Who was the man?' "'John Gilder,' gasped the terrified girl. "'And you played ghost?' "'Yes, sir.' "'But how about my shooting?' asked Patsy. "'How does Annie O'Neill happen to be alive?' "'Read that from Chick,' said Nick, producing a paper. "'He's made some discoveries in the Colonel's house today while we were all away.' He's found the ghost. It seems that this girl was inside of a hollow dummy. She stood over a trap door. 
just as soon as she had shown her face she dropped the veil and went through the trap the dummy still continued to stand there and you shot at it two of your bullets flattened on its steel braces the rest went through john gilder flashed the light when he turned it off the dummy was hauled down through the trap and hidden in a place that neither you nor i found patsy colonel richmond seemed to be in a trance but the mysterious force he said at last the injury to yourself and your assistant how do you explain that it was done by john gilder swinging a sandbag on a string at the end of a pole which he poked through one of those panels it couldn't be seen in that dim light and it made a fearful weapon it's a wonder that he didn't knock our heads off i thought that i heard something whiz muttered patsy and yet i heard her voice this morning said the colonel she said consent no she didn't i said it rejoined nick i'm something of a ventriloquist how was the affair managed at the safe deposit vault asked the colonel after a pause why horace took the clasp out of the box and put it into your pocket you really saw it only he made you think afterward that you didn't after i had searched him he picked your pocket and got the clasp then he wrapped it in paper i picked his pocket to make matters even and substituted my knife similarly wrapped up when we got to this house he gave the knife to annie o'neill who put it on miss stevens's pillow when she went upstairs to call mrs stevens you have not explained the robberies at my house said colonel richmond i'll do that over there is the rest of it clear has anybody a question to ask nobody spoke annie o'neill said nick i'll leave here in patsy's charge horace richmond come with us horace looked ugly for a moment and then he calmed down and sullenly complied with nick's order judge lorimer begged to be of the party in order to see the explanation of the mysterious robberies of which he had heard two hours later they all stood in mrs pond's room the essential part of this matter said nick was this door which appeared to open and close of itself i saw that at a glance and made a secret investigation it is done by electricity there's a magnet in the casing which is powerful enough to swing the door to after which the same magnet pushes this little bolt which looks like an ordinary screw into position and that holds the door but not very steadily you may say that this should have given me the criminal at once but it didn't you see this electromagnet works whenever a current is turned into the wires horace was clever enough to have the wires lead all over the house a connection with the electric light wires furnishing the current can be made in almost every room in the house of course i suspected horace at once because his room was directly overhead in fact the two are connected as you see by a ventilator in the form of a pipe with a grated opening in each room the grating here you see is open but bless me exclaimed judge lorimer no thief could come through such a place why it isn't six inches square step in here a minute and see said nick and then he called out 
Already, Chick. The whole party had by this time gone into Mrs. Pond's sitting room. Nick said hush, and pointed to the ventilator. Most of the party could see it through the door. Instantly there appeared a mass of green feathers, and then Horace Richmond's parrot fluttered noiselessly down into the room. For a minute or two it ran around the floor. Then it flew up onto the dressing table, seized a small gold bar pin in its beak, and flew back into the ventilator pipe. A nice trick, said the detective. I believe it took you some time to teach the bird that. About a year, growled Horace. The bird was well trained before. Is it all clear? said Nick. Perfectly, said the colonel. But how did you get at it? Simply enough. There was only one way into this room when those robberies were committed, and the parrot was the only living thing in the house that was small enough to go through that pipe and intelligent enough to do the trick. You see, Horace trained the bird to pick up bright objects, and especially articles of the color of gold, and to go up and down that pipe. Then he schemed half your daughter come here. The rest was easy. He waited till she was in the farther room, and then closed the door between by the electrical device. Immediately he sent down the parrot. The bird was so well trained that he required only a minute or two to secure something. Of course, it was not always something of value. There were probably a dozen failures where the bird brought back nothing, or some useless object that glittered. I suspected the bird, and so put Chick on that lay. As you see, he has got the creature to work very well. Now, Colonel, what more can I do for you? What shall be done with the prisoners? Nothing. I will not prosecute. I guess we can hush it up, if you say so, responded Nick. By the way, there is one thing that I want to explain. I mean the strange appearance of that diamond pen in the box on the occasion of Mrs. Stevens' first visit. It was not the real pen, but a duplicate which had been prepared in advance. Horace had put up that game as a finishing touch for his uncle. Mrs. Pond had forced Horace to go for me, but he wouldn't be scared out. He played the game right under my nose. Annie O'Neill had the duplicate pen. She opened that box while Mrs. Stevens was calling to her daughter, as she testified, and put the duplicate into it. Then she wrapped it up just as before. "'So I won't have to give up the jewels,' said Mrs. Pond. "'I am afraid you will,' said Nick. "'The queerest part of the story is to come.' "'Chick has found a later will by Miss Lavenna Richmond. "'It is undoubtedly genuine.' "'And where do you suppose it was found?' the strangest of all places, in Horace Richmond's room. She died there, responded the colonel. She must have hidden the will during her last illness. It is strange to think of Horace Richmond struggling with that parrot and putting up his elaborate schemes, while the document which would have given him all he wanted was hidden in his own room. Horace Richmond's face at that moment was an amusing spectacle. So was Mrs. Pond's. Never mind, daughter, said the colonel. It is better so. I will make good the loss to you. And so ends Nick Carter's ghost story in a most natural manner. Nobody was ever punished for the affair. Even the gang of mediums and healers 
whom Nick had rounded up, were released after their night in jail, because, on sober second thought, their dupes were ashamed to complain against them. End of section 20 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona End of Nick Carter's Ghost Story